God's people said, it's absolutely beautiful. If you have your Bibles, if you'll turn with me to Genesis 42, as we continue our sermon series on Joseph, the story of Joseph, an incredible story um, of one of God's children. And we're reminded that this whole story is not so that we can be like Joseph. God didn't give us this story so that we look at his life and say, I want to be like that. God gave us this story, like all stories of the Bible. So we see it and we marvel at Joseph's God. We marvel at God who, who is there in the highs and the lows and that redeems all things for his glory. So my hope and prayer this morning is that as you see this, that God would draw near to you, love you very well, that you would also see your place in the story and realize that in that place that God is there and God is loving and God rescues. It's such really good news. Let me, let me begin by asking a question. I mean, especially with Memorial Day weekend, how many of you are going to have a family reunion this summer? Anybody having a family reunion this summer? There's a, there's a few hands that are going up there. Very cool. I see that hand. Um, but anyway, how many of you who are having a family reunion are going to have a dysfunctional family reunion this summer? I mean, the reality is, if you're a part of the family, if I'm a part of the family, I mean, every family reunion's dysfunctional, right? I mean, in the sense that we're all broken people, and we've already learned from studying Joseph this really good news that dysfunction doesn't disqualify. Well, today we have a look at at God's family reunion. I mean, this is God's chosen family. Uh, this is the, the promised family that the seed is going to come from that eventually will produce Jesus and our Lord and Savior. So if it's his family, if it's God's family and we're his, well, this is our family reunion. And we're going to see it's, it's a bit dysfunctional. I mean, even his family reunion. Let me ask you this. If you were to go to a family reunion and it would be 22 more years until you went to another one, how many would you recognize? Can you imagine spending 22 years and then trying to go to a family reunion? Maybe you'd be hopeful that they would be wearing shirts. Have you seen those shirts that people wear now? Like even on the airplane when they're going, they're going to the family reunion. And most of us kind of like start stepping away from those kind of people and say, glad I'm not going there. Right. Um, But anyway, Joseph is going to be reunited with his family and it's been 22 years and there's no shirts that were handed out for the family reunion. Matter of fact, it wasn't even a planned family reunion. Let me remind you of where we've been in these 22 years. It was Joseph's very own brothers who he's about to be reunited with. These are the rascals that sold him into slavery. They hated Joseph. They hated Joseph because his dad, Jacob, while Joseph was the favorite, he had this cool multicolored coat and, and Joseph was a bit of a tattletale. He had these crazy dreams and he would tattletale when his brothers were, were acting out of a line. So, so Joseph's brothers had a good plan. Let's, let's kill him. Nah, we can't kill him. He's our brother, right? Let's sell him into slavery. From there, from 13 years, from being sold and heading to Egypt and ending up in Potiphar's house. And although we got success there, falsely accused by Potiphar's wife of a crime, a sexual crime he didn't commit. Matter of fact, he was an honorable man, but he was sent to prison. And in prison, although he rose to the top, even there, he was forgotten. And 13 years it took, 13 years it took for God to raise him out of that pit. Let me ask some of you, how many years have you felt like you're in a pit? 
for some of you, how many years has it felt like darkness for you? Well, well, Joseph can relate because he was 13 years and then we get raised up out of that pit. He has seven years of prosperity. And then as his interpreting Pharaoh's dreams would tell us, here came some bad times. Well, this reunion, this 17 year old boy that was sold into slavery is probably about 37 years old right now. 22 years have elapsed and Joseph's brothers didn't recognize him. I mean, how could they? They probably figured he was dead. I mean, you're going to hear in the passage that one is not. And they never would have thought that Joseph was like number two in the land. They probably didn't recognize him because he didn't look like his brothers. He had shaved his beard. He put on Egyptian garb. And now he was in this place of power. But Joseph recognized them, but they, they didn't recognize him. You see, as we continue our study in the life of Joseph, what's going to be key today, the thing I want you to really lean into, the thing I want you to hear when we have scripture being read is recognition. Recognition is going to be the key to this chapter. Recognition is going to lead, we're going to see to repentance and repentance will ultimately lead to reconciliation and reconciliation is going to lead to redemption. Cause here's what you got to know about God. A family reunion is not enough for God. Just getting people together is not enough for him. He's too gracious. He's too loving. He's too powerful. It's not enough that dysfunctional people just gather together in one place. God is so merciful and God is so gracious. And the work of his son is so powerful that that he's going to bring us a recognition that we need that will lead to things like repentance and reconciliation. And our God is going to redeem his story through us, which is absolutely incredible. I've asked Emily McKeon to come up and read God's word this morning. Thank you very much, Emily. As she reads God's very uh, own word, please lean into this incredible story. Thanks, Emily. When Jacob learned that there was grain for sale in Egypt, he said to his sons, why do you look at one another? And he said, behold, I have heard that there's grain for sale in Egypt. Go down and buy grain for us there that we may live and not die. So 10 of Joseph's brothers went down to buy grain in Egypt. But Jacob did not send Benjamin, Joseph's brother, with his brothers, for he feared that harm might happen to him. Thus the sons of Israel came to buy among the others who came, for the famine was in the land of Canaan. Now Joseph was governor over the land. He was the one who sold to all the people of the land. And Joseph's brothers came and bowed themselves before him with their faces to the ground. Joseph saw his brothers and recognized them, but he treated them like strangers and spoke roughly to them. Where do you come from? He said. They said, from the land of Canaan to buy food. And Joseph recognized his brothers, but they did not recognize him. And Joseph remembered the dreams that he had dreamed of them. And he said to them, you are spies. You have come to see the nakedness of the land. They said to him, no, my Lord, your servants have come to buy food. We are all sons of one man. We are honest men. Your servants have never been spies. He said to them, no, it is the nakedness of the land that you have come to see. And they said, we, your servants, are 12 brothers, the sons of one man in the land of Canaan. And behold, the youngest is this day with our father and one is no more. But Joseph said to them, it is as I have said to you, you are spies. By this you shall be tested. By the life of Pharaoh you shall not go from this place unless your youngest brother comes here. Send one of you 
and let him bring your brother while you remain confined, that your words may be tested and whether there is truth in you. Or else by the life of Pharaoh, surely you are spies. And he put them all together in custody for three days. On the third day, Joseph said to them, do this and you will live for I fear God. If you are honest men, let one of your brothers remain confined where you are in custody and let the rest go and carry grain for the famine of your households and bring your youngest brother to me. So your words will be verified and you shall not die. And they did so. Then they said to one another, in truth, we are guilty concerning our brother and that we saw the distress of his soul when he begged us and we did not listen. That is why this distress has come upon us. And Reuben answered them, did I not tell you not to sin against the boy? But you did not listen. So now there comes a reckoning for his blood. They did not know that Joseph understood them, for there was an interpreter between them. Then he turned away from them and wept. And he returned to them and spoke to them. And he took Simeon from them and bound him before their eyes. And Joseph gave orders to fill their bags with grain and to replace every man's money in his sack and to give them provisions for their journey. This was done for them. Then they loaded their donkeys with their grain and departed. And as one of them opened his sack to give his donkey fodder at the lodging place, he saw his money in the mouth of the sack. He said to his brothers, my money has been put back. Here it is in the mouth of my sack. At this, their hearts failed them. And they turned trembling to one another saying, what is this that God has done to us? When they came to Jacob, their father in the land of Canaan, they told him all that had happened to them saying, the man, the Lord of the land, spoke roughly to us and took us to be spies of the land. But we said to him, we are honest men. We have never been spies. We are 12 brothers, sons of our father. One is no more. And the youngest is this day with our father in the land of Canaan. Then the man, the Lord of the land, said to us, by this, I shall know that you are honest men. Leave one of your brothers with me and take grain for the famine of your households and go your way. Bring your youngest brother to me. Then I shall know that you are not spies, but honest men. And I will deliver your brother to you, and you shall trade in the land. As they emptied their sacks, behold, every man's bundle of money was in his sack. And when they and their father saw their bundles of money, they were afraid. And Jacob, their father, said to them, You have bereaved me of my children. Joseph is no more, and Simeon is no more. And now you would take Benjamin. All this has come against me. Then Reuben said to his father, kill my two sons if I do not bring him back to you. Put him in my hands and I will bring him back to you. But he said, my son shall not go down with you for his brother is dead and he is the only one left. If harm should happen to him on the journey that you are to make, you would bring down my gray hairs with sorrow to Sheol. The word of the Lord. Nicely done, Emily. Thank you. Let's pray together. Father, we are so grateful for how real and authentic you are with us. When you tell us of your very own family reunion, you show us that it's filled with dysfunction and that you are working powerfully, working powerfully in a way that will bring not just a reunion, but will bring reconciliation and redemption. And we love you because that's your character and that's what you do. This is your story and you alone are the one to tell it. So would you come and would you speak through a broken sinner like me? 
Would you give us ears to hear your voice? And would you give us minds to understand your word? And would give you give us hearts to embrace and love your truth and to be a part of your family by your grace? And would you give us feet, feet to walk in a manner worthy of your name? Oh God, come and meet with your family again today. Come and give us the grace of your presence. Challenge us, heal us, mold us, make us. Make us more like your son. God, the things that I say that are wrong are merely my opinion. May those things fall away and be forgotten quickly. But the things that are said that are true and contain the good news of Christ Jesus, use those things to build your church and to make us more like our Savior Jesus. And it's in his holy and matchless name that we pray. Amen. If you want to follow along with me, you'll find an outline in your bulletin. Again, there's so rich of a passage here before us. There's so many things that we could say about this very story and this very passage. But the one thing I feel that God's spirit is leading me to to say is this, is that we need to recognize, we need to recognize those things that God is doing that will not just make us have a family reunion that will reconcile us, that, that will heal us, that will make us his recognition is going to be the key. Well, the first thing we see is the scene has shifted. For a long time now, we've been in Egypt. For a long time, our focus has just been on Joseph. And now we see we're back in Canaan, back in the promised land. And we see the focus begins of Jacob. Jacob, the patriarch. And as a patriarch should, he realized the family was in trouble. And it wasn't just small trouble. They were in big trouble. I mean, they were in trouble of perishing. This was a life and death situation. They had no food. The famine was so severe and they had gotten word that, that there was food in Egypt. For us, I mean, can we even relate to this? I mean, with a Publix where shopping is a pleasure right around about every corner. I mean, the thought of being in that dire of a situation, Jacob recognized it. But also interesting what his sons didn't recognize It said they just stood there looking at one another, wondering what to do. And every parent who has a child sometimes says, I know that look. I've recognized that look. But we have to realize these aren't young boys who shouldn't know. Joseph in this story is 37 and he's the second youngest. These are grown men. These are men with families of their own. These are ones that also should know what to do. But we start to see in these these men that they can recognize one another as brothers. They look at each other, but they don't know how brothers should act. That's a real key to this. They don't know how brothers should act. And and God is going to teach them and show them how they should act. Again, this story, did you see it? Did you recognize that this whole story was like a mirror? It was like a mirror showing them the actions so far. Little things like this of their brothers being falsely accused like Joseph was. The brothers being put in prison for three days, but Joseph was there for years. The brothers who will watch one brother, Simeon, bound and, and they will be let go. The brothers who, who are given silver in their sacks, just like when they sold Joseph and received silver from it. And God is using this to reveal to Joseph, what are these brothers like? You see, Joseph recognized them, but they didn't recognize him. And he didn't know it was safe. You know how that feeling is sometimes? Is it safe to be vulnerable? 
Is it, is it safe for, for me to really have a relationship? Some of you probably even ask that in some of the most dear and intimate relationship. Is it safe to me to have a relationship again with my dad or my mom? Is it safe? And Joseph is going to use this mirror in their life to kind of, to kind of show where they were and where God is working in their life to see, is it safe to have a relationship with them? But God is using all of this for recognition, recognition in a sense that a family reunion to God is not enough. It's just not enough. Family reconciliation, redemption of the story is always what God aims for and succeeds at. The first thing we're going to see is this recognition of pain. Did you see it? Recognition of wounds. We'll see it first in verse 24. Through all of Joseph's journeys, never before have we seen him weep. I'm not saying that he hasn't wept, but it hasn't been recorded for us. I mean, he is, he's sold by his brothers. It says he was in great distress and crying out for his soul, but then sent into Egypt, sent into Potiphar's house, Even when he was betrayed there, even in prison, he doesn't weep. And yet now we see that he weeps. There's something that we realize that God was doing. That for there to be reconciliation, for there to be healing, Joseph had to recognize his pain. Remember what we saw just last chapter? It was really interesting. Joseph by, uh, was given by the Pharaoh, his daughter, and, and through her had two sons. I mean, Joseph was basically elevated to the royal family. I mean, he was given his, everything he can give. And, and when he named his two sons, it's so revealing to us what his mindset was like. Because when he named his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim, he named them for a reason. He says this, Manasseh, for he said, God has made me forget. God has made me forget all my hardship, and he's made me forget my father's house. You have to know this about God in your pain. He doesn't want you to just forget it. The goal of our wounds and the goal of our pain, and especially those, those really tough wounds, you know those wounds that the family created? You know the wounds, and I, I know that my finger is right on many of our wounds right now that, that maybe intentionally or maybe unintentionally came from those who, who should love you the most. Those who should protect you the fiercest? I mean, those who should defend you? I mean, those aren't the family wounds the ones that hurt the most? Aren't the family the wounds the ones that we want to forget the most? And can't you understand Joseph saying, okay, look what happened here. I can now forget. But God's goal is not that we forget our pain. God's goal is that he wants to work marvelously through it. He next, he names the second child, Ephraim. He says this, for God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. He's made me fruitful. I could forget the past. I could forget my father's household. I'm now producing fruit. I'm making a great living. But here's what you got to hear. Listen, God loves you too much. God loves you too much to have your pain simply be forgotten. God loves you too much to have your life just cut off and somehow try to block it off and not even think about it. Not only does God love you too much to have your pain be forgotten, but the gospel gives us courage. The gospel of Jesus Christ and our God courage to be able to turn to our pain, turn to our wounds and turn to our savior in the midst of them and ask for help. The beautiful thing about the God of the Bible, the beautiful thing about Jesus and the gospel is this. We don't have to pretend about our pain. 
We don't have to pretend it's not real. We don't have to pretend it doesn't hurt. And we don't have to pretend and hope that we can forget and that it'll go away. What wounds do you have? I mean, what wounds do you have that maybe no one else knows? What pain? What sorrow? What family wounds? One thing that Katie and I try to tell our kids, we, we, we do love you. But if you want us to, we got, you got an option. We're going to pay for your college or for your therapy. We can't pay for both. <laughs> because we know that we're broken and there's going to be wounds that come. Even unintentional wounds. One of the greatest things that, that we've tried to do through our marriage is, is to, again, to go to counseling, to go and, and sit with somebody, just start unpacking wounds, start unpacking things that have happened in our life that, that have wounded us dearly and deeply. Again, one of the commentators I wrote on this, and, and again, he, his point wasn't that God is exposing wounds, but he was just telling the story. He was saying that I grew up with a single mom, and I, I grew up, and my dad wasn't around, and once I had kids, I couldn't figure out what kind of man would ever leave his children. He said, that wound was just so great and so deep. How do I get over that? Then he, then he becomes an addict. And even though he loves my wife, his daughter-in-law, and he loves my kids, his grandkids, can I ever trust him? I mean, these family wounds, and, and I know your stories, and many of you, and, and I know that they're deep, deep family wounds. And God doesn't want you to forget them. I'm sorry, he doesn't. He doesn't want you to live your life. We just got to like block it off. He wants to deal with them grace with his grace and mercy. He, in the gospel, he wants you to turn toward him. He wants to give you courage in Christ Jesus. And that's what we find in the Bible. We find that, that Jesus is what, what the scripture will tell us. The writer of the book of Hebrews tells us that he's a merciful high priest, one who lives to intercede for us. And Jesus is merciful. How do we know that? Well, because God himself took on flesh. God, like us, was tempted in every way, yet without sin. God, in Christ, listen, experienced our wounds. He experienced our pain. He knows the pain of family wounds. There was a time in Jesus' ministry where his family was convinced he was a lunatic. His own family. His own family would say, he's crazy. He's got this Messiah complex that just won't quit. He knew, the, he knew the wounds of a friend, his closest friends, Peter. Peter, who's always listed first when it lists the disciples. Peter, who will say, Jesus, if everyone else denies you, I'm your man. I'm your boy. I'm right here with you. If everyone else goes south, I'm right next to you. Even if it costs me my life, I'm all in. Even in his last moments, he's denying three times that he even knows Jesus. You see, beauty of the gospel, the beauty of the story of the Bible is our God sympathizes with our pain. He doesn't want us to hide from them because he knows the pain too. But if that were the end of the story, if we just had a God who sympathizes with us, we have reason to rejoice, but there's more. This, this God was pierced for our wounds. He was pierced for our transgressions. The iniquity of our lives was put on him. And through his wounds and through his brokenness, we're healed. And now it's safe. It's safe to bring him to him. It's safe to be honest. It's safe to say, this is the story. You know it. You know the betrayal. You know the hurt. You know the self-inflicted wounds. You know the family wounds. You know the friend wounds. 
You see, there's no reconciliation without recognition. And recognition's got to begin with our own wounds. And here you have Joseph, who seems to have everything now in control and all life is good. And 22 years after the fact, God's going to march his brothers right before his face and say, you got something to deal with. He weeps. He weeps. God will heal. Second thing is this recognition of sin. In verse 21, the mirror is working. Joseph's brothers are realizing it's taken 22 years. They're realizing that they've messed up. They've sinned. How did they sleep for 22 years? How did they have a picnic lunch the moment they decide to sell him into slavery and not kill him? And he's screaming from the pit for his very life. They're, they're, they're chomping on a picnic lunch. And 22 years have elapsed that they haven't dealt with their sin. They haven't confessed their sin. And listen, God loves his people. Listen, God loves his people too much not to drive our sin to the surface. Every, every situation I find myself in pastorally, when, when I have someone come in and, and their life is now sideways because of sin, and something has happened, something's gone really wrong, and, and their marriage is either over or on the brink, and they, they feel like their, their life is on the brink, and everything is just undone and unwound. I see God's grace. And I try to say it in the right time, and I try to say it gently, but I got to say it firmly. I lean in, and I want to whisper in their ear, you got to understand that God loves you too much not to let this sin come to the surface. You got to understand that, that God, God loves you too much. And listen, here's the good news of the grace of Jesus Christ. The gospel gives us courage. It gives us courage to be able to turn to our sin. It gives us courage to be able to confess our sin. It gives us courage to be able to have the, to have the ability to say, I am so broken. You don't even know the beginning of it. I don't know about you, but even when I gather in worship, there's an enemy who whispers in my ear and says, what are you doing here? How can you sing this song? How can you stand up in front of these people? I just turn to that enemy and say, be gone because I am a child of the King. And because of the work of Christ, I know that I am forgiven. I know that God in his mercy has placed my sins upon his son and he's separated them from me as far as the east is from the west that I've been robed in his righteousness. I know this, that my sin will not ultimately win the day and nor will yours, Christian. Our sin is not what's gonna define us. God's grace and the work of Christ is. He wins. We're forgiven. And, and there's a reality that today we are forgiven. And there's a reality coming called glorification that one day, one day when we see him face to face, we won't even have to deal with the presence of sin. It'll be over with forever. Oh, hasten the day, Lord Jesus. And until that day, I'm a knucklehead who falls forward. I imagine you are too. And every day, he, what does he say to us? He says that the most important thing for us to do is to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our strength, with all of our mind, and to love our neighbors as ourselves. How many of you have done that yet? I haven't. See, it's God's grace that'll have us recognize that we're sinners that desperately need a savior. It's God's grace that, that will turn the story. You see, the story begins to turn when the brothers finally get it. Oh my gosh, we did this to Joseph. Our distress was like his distress. We need to repent. God loves us too much not to drive it to a surface. 
because our sin is going to affect our, our communion with God. If you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, our sin will never affect our union with God. Once we're his, we're always his and he'll never let us go. It's such good news. But that unconfessed sin just has a way of clogging that, that relationship and that, that communion. The sin affects the way that our union and communion with one another. You know what sin always does? Listen, sin always isolates. It always isolates. It always wants to drive you away from others. It always wants to set you off on your own. It always wants to make you have to be the one who figures it all out on your own. Sin has that effect. Confess it. Come to the Lord and his people. And sin, it has a way of bending us inward. Augustine in the 300 says this, this uh, Latin phrase, incurvitus in sea. That sin bends us inward on ourselves. It deforms us. Because we were created for God. We were created to know and love and have our face toward heaven and live and walk with him. And sin just bends us upon ourself. You see, family reunion wasn't enough for God. Family reconciliation is what he wants. Well, really, it's family redemption. And you can't have family redemption and reconciliation without recognizing. Recognizing your wounds and recognizing your sin. When Joseph's brothers began to recognize that, in turn, the story began to turn. Lastly, recognizing our God, the grace of God. In verse 18, in verse 18, in the midst of this incredible story, Joseph kind of out of nowhere says, and by the way, I fear God. He's with his, he's with his brothers and he's saying, the gods of Egypt... <laughs> I'm nothing to do with the gods of Egypt. I may look like I'm dressed in their garb. I may look like I'm their guy, but I fear your God. I love your God. We have this connection, recognizing God. And he says, if you shall do this, then you will live. Isn't that the gospel? If we should follow after God and embrace his son, then we will live. This is here in the story where you can't help but see Jesus and Joseph. I mean, there's such beautiful parallels because what happens? Joseph recognizes his brothers, but they don't recognize him. Joseph, uh, uh, Jesus recognizes his brothers, but they didn't recognize him. Jesus provides for his brothers, but they don't recognize it. Let's make it a little clearer. John 1, 12 says that Jesus came for his own. He came for his own, but his own didn't recognize him. They didn't recognize that Jesus was the long-promised Messiah. They didn't recognize that Jesus was their rightful king as king of kings and lord of lords. They didn't recognize that Jesus was God's son, God in the flesh. They didn't recognize it. We didn't recognize it. And he was crucified because of it. You see the reality that Joseph points to Christ Jesus. You see, the entire gospel story, the entire your story, my story, it turns on our recognition of Jesus. It turns on that. If we, if we confess with our mouth that Jesus really is Lord, if, if we believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, then we are saved, Romans 10, 9. Everything turns on that recognition. Everything turns on the recognition that Jesus really is God's Son, Savior, Lord, my Lord. You see, by God's grace, when we do recognize our sin, by God's grace, we do recognize our pain, by God's grace in the gospel, when we recognize the gospel and he gives us the power to turn, turn toward him. When we recognize that 
that sacrifice was sufficient for your sins and mine. We recognize that that tomb was empty. We really are declared not guilty. We're free. We're free. He's come to give us life. We're alive. And he's come to make us fruitful for his glory. When we recognize who God is, we recognize we got purpose. We recognize God. He's, he's with us. We have his presence. We recognize that God's promises are being fulfilled even while we walk by faith. We recognize that God has every right to our lives. He's, he's died for it. He's purchased us with his own blood. We recognize that God's plan won't fail. That God's glory is ultimate. How is it with you? What's your recognition like this morning? It's not enough for God to have a family reunion. It's just not enough. It's not enough that you just show up at church. It's just not enough. He wants reconciliation. And he's provided everything we need through his son. Pray for the recognition to acknowledge your wounds. The gospel gives you courage to look at your sin. And to acknowledge God that his son is your Lord and Savior. And from there, a reunion turns into a reconciliation. And a reconciliation turns into redemption. And we're going to get there. And the beauty of God's plan will be fulfilled. I wish I could tell you that in turn to Christ today, that immediately all your wounds will go away. There's a day coming. I wish I could offer that to you. But I promise you, you turn to Christ and you have a high priest who is with you and sympathizes with you and will heal you and is healing you. And will truly set you free. But if you recognize him, he will separate your sin. He'll never leave you nor forsake you. And he's the only one who can reconcile our stories. How is it with you? Do you recognize Jesus for who he really is? Let us pray. Father, what an incredible story of Joseph. And it's so much more. Your word is so living. It's so active. It's so beautiful. It's so glorious. And it should be because you are so beautiful and you are so glorious and you are matchless. Words cannot describe who you are and what you have done for us in Christ Jesus. And we truly can sit and stand in awe. And God, when we see ourselves rightly in this story, that we too have to weep over our wounds, not hide them and forget about them, that we too need to recognize our sins and confess it. And most importantly, we too need to recognize our God. Jesus, thank you for coming. Thank you for staying for in the midst of those who didn't recognize you. And you would give your very life so that one day we would. Father, I pray for anyone here whose, whose family wounds are so deep and piercing that they have a hard time thinking of anything else. Please apply gospel grace to that situation. Surround them with friends, with counselors, with lovers of Jesus that will point them to hope with you. Father, to the couple or to the individual that's living in the darkness of sin, Thank you for your grace that drives it to the surface. Thank you for loving us too much to letting it be concealed. For some, it may be 22 years or longer. God, may today be the day for your grace and glory that you will drive that sin that we need to confess to the surface. 
Because when we do confess our sins, we thank you that you're faithful and just to cleanse us and to forgive us of all of our unrighteousness. What an incredible God you are. And Father, for anyone here who is yet to recognize Jesus for who he truly is, may today be the day that we all can see Jesus as our Lord and Savior and truly live. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.